All right, church. Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to Romans chapter 6. We'll have some of the scriptures up here on the screens uh, as well. Well, as you're turning there, I would like to ask you a question. Has, has anyone in here ever felt like that you have a boring testimony? I used to think that I had a boring testimony. But for dramatic effect, we'll let that. <laughs> and actually, in all regards, my testimony to some might still seem kind of boring, right? I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up with Christian parents. I grew up as a, a pastor's kid. I remember my parents reading the Bible to me at night. I remember at a young age feeling the weight of sin and my need of a Savior. And I honestly, I cannot remember a time in my life when I did not love Jesus. But that kind of testimony is oftentimes not what we like to highlight or celebrate in American evangelical circles. And I remember growing up, whether it be at church or at conferences or at camps, I would hear these testimonies of people coming to faith in Christ just in these dramatic ways, right? Like, like they were in a gang. I grew up in California, so that's more, you know, they were in a gang. They were doing drugs. They were chasing all the sin that they could. And then, boom, they hear the gospel. God opens up their eyes to the truth, completely transforms their lives, completely transforms their hearts. And listen, church, praise God for those conversion stories. Praise God for those dramatic conversion stories. That's some of you in here. You had dramatic conversion stories, and we do want to praise God for that. But, but, I remember growing up and thinking, man, I wish I had a testimony like that. Oh, but what foolish thinking that was, church. Because in reality, there are no boring testimonies. And there are no boring baptisms. Every time someone repents of sin and trusts Christ as their Savior and Lord, it is a miraculous and extraordinary event. And yes, sometimes God does bring about conversion in a dramatic fashion, like a Paul on the road to Damascus. But in other times, he brings about conversions like a Timothy, who followed in the faith of his mother and grandmother. And that is incredible as well, church. I mean, what a miraculous and gracious work of God to have faith and faithfulness passed down from one generation to the next. There are no boring testimonies. There are no boring testimonies. Because the main part of someone's testimony is not really even necessarily what they share about their lives. Like, that's nice. We're going to hear some of those today. It's helpful to get to know some of the people maybe we don't know and to, to hear from them. But the miraculous thing about their story is not only what they share has happened to them, it is what God's Word says has happened to them. 
And so we're going to look at God's written word to see what has happened to them through faith in Christ. But then we're going to celebrate baptism. And in the years following the Reformation, a lot of the Protestant church leaders would oftentimes refer to baptism and the Lord's Supper, <clears throat> excuse me, as the visible word. The visible word. Right? I mean, God has been so good to give us not only his written word that we pray and that we sing and that we read and that we preach, but he's given us his visible word. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are God-given images that we have that teach us and remind us and strengthen us by pointing us to and allowing us to participate in the truth of greater realities. They point us to some sweeter, deeper, greater realities that we could miss or not fully enjoy by just simply reading about it. Baptism, the waters of baptism, actually show us what has happened to someone who has put their faith in Christ. The testimony videos that we play today, that is not the end of the testimony. The actual baptism is a part of God showing us the miraculous work he has done in their life. And so this morning, we are not baptizing anyone who used to be in a gang or on drugs. At least not that I know of. It didn't, it didn't come up organically in the process of preparation. But listen, when we do, hey, we, when we do do that, we are going to celebrate and rejoice that God's grace can be so powerful and dramatic and immediate in a person's life. We will celebrate when that happens here. But this morning, specifically this morning, we celebrate the extraordinary grace of God that has come upon these young people day after day, many times through the faith and faithfulness of their parents who have taught them God's word day after day, who have brought them to be a part of God's people week after week and year after year, who have faithfully loved and disciplined them, who have shared the gospel with them and prayed for them and pointed them to Jesus. Their parents have put the kindling around the fire, and we gather to celebrate today that now the Spirit has lit the flame. And this is a miraculous work, church. It's a miraculous work when God saves and converts someone in a dramatic moment, but it is also a miraculous work when day after day, kids see their parents wanting to love and know Jesus more. And all these young people today, while they can thank their parents while they can thank God, while they can thank the church for pouring in them, these young people today, they have seen their sin and their need for a Savior, and they have said that I want to follow Jesus myself. And this is a miracle we're celebrating today. Jesus said in Luke 15, verse 10, he said, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God, over one sinner who repents. That means God and his angels celebrate and rejoice when one sinner repents, even if that sinner grew up in a Christian home. 
And so today we are going to join with God and the angels today. We're going to join with the heavenly host today. And we're going to celebrate when these people are baptized. And so I don't want to tell you what to do, but I'm saying when we bring someone up out of the water, it would be an appropriate time for a standing ovation. If there ever was a time for a standing, like I'm not talking about, you know, after that first song, there's like an awkward slow clap that then everyone else feels bad and we all have to like clap to finish it. I'm not talking about that kind of clap. I'm talking about a standing ovation celebratory joining with God and his angels over the great work he's done. And listen, when we clap, we are praising God for the great things he has done. And we are encouraging our brother or sister that is coming up out of the water. We are encouraging them to keep running the race of faith. It's worth it. It's worth it. Run hard after Jesus. It's worth it. Keep going. And so we have eight people this morning, eight image bearers of God, eight immortal souls who want to declare to you today that they are followers of Jesus. And there is nothing boring about that. But before you hear from them, and before you see the visible word in baptism, I want to show you from God's written word the miraculous work that we know and they know God has done in their hearts. So look with me at Romans 6, if you have it, verse 1, or it'll be up on the screen, Romans 6, verse 1. He writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? All right, so we preached this as a church last week, and we're just revisiting it today to prepare us for baptisms. But in light, right, in light of the glorious grace that Paul has just proclaimed in Romans 5 and before, Paul is now anticipating that a, a question that some will ask. If, if grace really abounds where sin increases, then should we just keep sinning or even pursue sin even more so that his grace can abound all the more? And Paul says, absolutely not, by no means. Don't you know what has happened to you? That's what he's saying. Don't you know what has happened to you? In Christ, you have died to sin. And what that means, to die to sin, it means that sin is no longer reigning or ruling over you. Before faith in Christ, you are a slave to sin. You are a slave to self. You live for the glory of yourself. And everything you do, yeah, you might be a, you know, a decently good moral person and however you want to define that. But at the end of the day, before faith in Christ, you are a slave to sin. We sometimes like to trade our sins for more culturally acceptable ones, more respectable ones, things that you know, people will still think highly of us even if we dabble in. Before Christ, you were a slave to sin, but he's saying, hey, for the believer in Christ, you have died to sin. It no longer reigns or rules over you. He says, through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, God has forgiven you from the penalty of sin. Praise God for that. But he's also freed you from the power of sin. Yes, God has accomplished great things for you, but he's accomplishing great things in you. And he goes on to say in verse 3, he says, 
do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Christ was raised from the dead by the glory or the power of the Father. And nothing short of the glorious power of God can raise someone from death to life. It takes that glorious power to turn the prodigal around. And it takes that same glorious power to save a church kid from their selfishness, pride, entitlement, and self-righteousness. You see, this is where we can start to wrongly believe that our testimonies are, are boring. It's when we think that we just needed to change some things to become a follower of Christ. And listen, change is hard, but, but we can do it, right? I mean, there's self-help books for that. There's, there's habits and routines we can put into place to do that. I mean, it, it is difficult to change daily habits, right? It's difficult to change jobs or to move, to change houses, right? These things are tough. It's hard work, but you can do it. Change is hard. But listen, church, change is not what we ultimately needed. We needed a resurrection. We needed to be born again. We needed a new life. We needed a new heart. And resurrections are impossible if not for the glorious power of God to bring people who were dead in sin and raise them up to be alive to God so that they might walk in newness of life. You see, we didn't just need a change. We needed to be resurrected. And Paul tells us of our condition when he writes to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. There are no boring baptisms, church, because even the best of church kids, this was their condition apart from Christ. But thanks be to God, Through faith in Christ, we are united to Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. And so when Paul in Romans 6 is referencing baptism, he's primarily referring to our spiritual baptism into Christ. I mean, he doesn't mention water in this passage at all, right? He's he's talking about our spiritual baptism through repentance and faith. We are united and baptized into Christ. And this union with Christ means that now the life Jesus lived of righteous obedience is now our righteousness. 
the death that Jesus died on the cross, we also died to sin. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, we also were raised to newness of life. And so when we baptize someone with water, we are not necessarily accomplishing those glorious realities by our own strength and might, right? There's nothing magical about this water. No, God has given us this ordinance to point us to the greater reality of what he has already accomplished in someone's life through faith in him. This is a sacred reenactment of what God has done in the heart of someone who has trusted Jesus as their Savior and Lord. But before we get to it, before we get to the baptisms, let's, let's try to understand baptism a little bit more. And I think to understand baptism rightly, we need to first understand it in the context of one, it's one of the two ordinances that we practice together as a church. And some denominations and churches call them sacraments. Uh, we call them ordinances because we believe that they were ordained by Christ for his followers uh, to do. The ordinances that we practice, they were instituted by Christ, number one. They were taught by the apostles, number two. And they were practiced by the early church. And using those three criteria, we get two ordinances that we as a church practice, and that is baptism and the Lord's Supper. We're going to put a quote up on the screen from Greg Allison. He's a pastor in our network as well as a professor at Southern Seminary. I think he rightly uh, helps summarize these two ordinances in their context together. He says, baptism is the initial rite or celebration of entering into the new covenant people of God. The Lord's Supper is the continuing rite or celebration of being in the new covenant relationship with God. All right, so once you have professed faith in Christ, baptism is the first, the initial celebration of your union with Christ and entering into the fellowship with his people. And then the Lord's Supper is the continual reminder of that union and fellowship that you have with God and his people. And so this is why, while we do allow all of our parents here at this church to decide what's best for their kids as to when they participate in the Lord's Supper, uh, we do recommend, and the pastors do this with all their kids, they have them wait, we have them wait until they're baptized to participate in the Lord's Supper because we believe it's most consistent with these greater realities that these two things are pointing us to. Baptism is the initial celebration of entering into the new covenant people of God. The Lord's Supper is a continuing celebration of being in a new covenant relationship with God. So let's talk a little bit more about baptize, all right? The word baptize means to dip, to plunge, or to immerse, all right? It's a word that was often used uh, even, even to describe a drowning or to be sunk, which sounds a little harsh and, and, and grotesque, but it does give us that picture that when Christ died, our sin was drowned by the wrath of God. Baptism gives us a picture of our sins being washed away. Baptism gives us a picture of escaping God's judgment through water, much like Noah did in the ark and the people of God did as they crossed through the Red Sea on dry land. Ultimately, baptism gives us a picture of our union with Christ, like we've learned here in Romans 6. When he died, we died. When he rose, we rose. Baptism is also a celebration that someone is now one with the body of Christ, the church. 
which is why, yes, you can get baptized anywhere. You can get baptized out away or, or, or apart from the church. I would see the ideal situation of baptism is being baptized amongst your church family and your church pastors so that as you come up out of the water, you get to see the body of Christ that you have been baptized into. And so those of you that are getting baptized today, I, I want you to note that when you come out of the water, I want you to, as soon as you can wipe your eyes and open your eyes, I want you to see the body of Christ that you have been baptized into, that you have been welcomed into. And not only will it be an, a great encouragement for you, but it'll be a great encouragement to your church family to see you baptized, to hear of your faith, to hear what God has done in your life. It will be an encouragement to us. And so baptism, it is a sacred symbol. It's God's visible word, a means of grace for us to be renewed and strengthened by as we practice it by faith and seeking to rightly practice it according to his word. And so as we, as we move into this time of baptism, I want to fill you in on what's been going on as the young people have been preparing. So the young people that are getting baptized today, they approached their parents and their pastors a few months ago and made known their desire to be baptized. And their parents walked them through uh, about a six-week study, uh, Bible study and, and devotions times with them uh, to help them more fully understand and appreciate what they're about to do this morning. All right. They then met with the pastors. We, we, we talked with them, prayed with them. We had them make a, a short video to share with you about what God has done in their life. But all these young people, they've, they've heard the gospel and they've received the gospel and they've put their faith in Christ. Their parents have seen evidence of them having conviction over sin and signs of repentance in their life. Their parents have started to see evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in their life. And so these young people today want to make you aware of the gloriously gracious and powerful work that God has done in their hearts. For God has not just changed their hearts, he has resurrected their hearts. And so there will be no boring baptisms today, church. For our God has brought these brothers and sisters from death to life. He's brought them from sinner to saint. Who they were in their sin has been crucified with Christ and they have been raised to newness of life. By the gloriously gracious power of God, they are dead to sin and alive to God. Let's pray and then we'll celebrate together.